With another episode of the Anarchist Experience, episode 361, aka Year 8, Week 6, uh, coming at you this week. As always, I am your host, Mr. Richie Rich, along with MC. And since this is the live Clubhouse version, starting a couple minutes early this week, uh, you guys know where to find that. Uh, find us on Clubhouse. The room is the Anarchist Experience, or you can at me at Riches for Rich, R I C H E S, the number four, R I C H, to get the little notification when I start the room. And we start this show live. Uh, that being said, not much going on this week, uh, MC. Like the the news sites are inundated with Russia, Ukraine. I'm going to say nonsense, and we covered <laughs> that pretty thoroughly last week. Okay. What, well, what's your quick take on it? My quick take: um, let them fight it out. It's none of the United States' business to get involved, and then we should not be funding it. If American citizens want to fight that battle, hey. Catch a plane and go fight it on your, yeah. by yourself. So, so uh, one, one of the things I heard recently was that, uh, um, well, the, one of the debates is is that, well, the U.S. does have something involved in it because we, we kind of we kind of pushed our, our way into it uh, before any of this happened. So basically, you know, Bi- Biden and his son over there messing with uh, uh, politics and, and trying to get Ukraine uh, more westernized and, uh, and get you know a, a Western uh, uh, president in, in there, or uh, somebody who sympathizes w- with Western values instead of uh, Russian values. So um, it's kind of Biden's fault, and that's why it's happening under Biden's watch again. Okay. And so, well, can we send Biden and his son then? <laughs> that's like, what I wanted. Well, to do. I don't care. <laughs> yeah, send them over there. But um, yeah, so. I think it's I think it's definitely more complicated than just you know let them fight it out. But uh, ultimately, if if the, if the West wasn't involved in the Ukraine at all, you know, trying to mess with their politics, then they would remain the neutral uh, area that it that it should be. Um, but uh, unfortunately, um, NATO is aggressive, and and the West is uh, constantly trying to. Uh, uh, you know, get its way. And so uh, Ukraine can't be neutral anymore. And Russia must be the evil ones. And Okay. So. If we're taking this from a pro-freedom, pro-liberty, anarchist slash libertarian position, though, right? Sure. Can, can we really advocate for United States involvement in a crisis that's not ours, even if one of our politicians stoked some fires, so to speak? Like does does he put um, does he put the entire country on the hook for more war, more or, dis- more death, more destruction? I, I think more importantly, the whole world. Sure. So right now, it's like the UN and you know pretty much everybody is is against Russia and it's not going in Russia's favor as far as I can tell. So much, uh, but we don't really know uh, the end goal. The end goal might be just to mess up Ukraine enough to where uh, nobody tries it again. 
you know, and says, you know, this is going to be a neutral area. And <laughs> you know, yeah. every time you rebuild, we'll just mess it up again. And uh, obviously we know you're not going to do anything about it because you didn't do anything last time. So, And you kind of suggested that last week, right? Like this is preemptive to make sure that, you know, they're not allowed to join NATO mm-hmm. or whatever. It's like uh, the, the term coming out is like proxy war, mm-hmm. right? This, this is, has nothing to do with Ukraine, really. It's like East versus West thing or Russia versus the United States thing. Um, and Ukraine is just the, the current battleground, mm-hmm. which sucks for them. But at the same time, I, I don't feel obligated to defend that no, homeland. No, and, and you shouldn't. Yeah. Um, and, and, but there, there's a whole bunch of people that, that want to fight. I think there was something like 300 or 3,000, I can't remember, uh, Americans that are going to go over there and help fight. And, and I think that's, you know, it's, it's hilarious. And, and, uh, but you know, there's, there, there are people that, that are fighters and that's what they want to do. And like, you know, as long as I don't have to pay their way, um, I don't care. Mercenaries are cool. Like I could, you know, they don't, they don't do anything bad to me. You want to like charge a fee to go up over there and kick some ass on behalf of people that have a right to defend themselves and by all means. But also there's a whole bunch of Russians. Russians that are coming over the border and surrendering. <laughs> so that's a little weird. Like I don't. It's not, it's not really. You know, they don't really want to kill them. They kind of see okay. them as, as as neighbors and cousins. You know, like so. Uh, right. But yeah. I, and I've it, seen. It, it would be like it would be like the U.S. having an invasion into Canada. It's like yeah, I don't really hate them. You know. <laughs> yeah. It's okay. So the silly part for me is. The fact that there's like the, there's Russian troops going like, I don't know why they sent us here. You know, they just <laughs> they just sent us in and we're like killing all these innocent people. We're just trying to defend their homeland. And I go, yeah, but you're a, you're a soldier, right? <laughs> so do you not like was this a secret mission that they fucking blindfold you and put you on the truck? And like you, you just woke up all of a sudden in Ukraine and they had a rifle and said, shoot people like do do the. Help me out because I've never been I in the mean, military. Is that how the orders kind, come down? The, it kind of is. Um, it's just like when the invasion in, into Iraq happened. You know, we were we, you know, I I saw a whole bunch of planes coming in and and they were shipping supplies over there. And somebody was like, "Yeah, we're shipping everything to uh, Kuwait. We're gonna we're, we're gonna invade Iraq." And I was like, "Well, that's weird." Well, yeah, <laughs> you but know? you knew about it, right? These are like no, soldiers I mean, on the ground. No, I didn't. I didn't know that we were doing that because it wasn't in the media really yet at that okay. point. No, but I, so it was just like, it's like everybody just got told to ship all this stuff to Kuwait. And it's like, that's stupid. Obviously there's no terrorists there. Right. Know? I hear what you're saying, but I guess the, the difference is like they knew what was going on. And these Russian soldiers in the media are, I'm going to say, what? pretending to not have known what was even going on. What they do you just mean like, we they just, knew what was going on? Why do you, why do if I, if I was a troop, uh, shipping goods in, in, into Kuwait, what would be the, the thing to know? It's, it's less about the shipping of the stuff. It's the, it's the, 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 the news articles that I saw was like Russian soldiers going, all of a sudden we were in Ukraine and we were being told to shoot, uh, shoot these people. Yeah. And like, I'm saying it's similar to the invasion to Iraq. Nobody really knew you know, during the lead up to that, nobody knew why it yeah, wasn't but, until weeks or months later when they said, oh yeah. And by the re- way, the reason we're doing this is because, uh, Iraq violated some, some, uh, 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 uh what do you call it? The, uh, the airspace. Yeah. Okay. Law, and they had WMDs 
And before that, nobody knew. It was just, hey, right. move, move this stuff over here so we can invade Iraq. And they just did it without but, asking, why are we doing this? I don't know if it's about motivation, though. Like, the, 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 by the time you got, by the time U.S. troops got into Iraq, mm-hmm. right? Like, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't, I don't know why I'm here. They just told me to shoot Iraqis. I'm pretty sure it was. Okay. Because what are, what are they trying to do? Oh, okay, we're going to, uh, I mean, it was kind of obvious that, okay, we're going to overthrow Saddam. Okay. By the time we actually started shooting. But before that, it was just a massive buildup of, you know, our armed forces in Kuwait and standing around waiting for orders. And okay. then the orders eventually came. But what I'm saying is but people were doing things without having any end goal in, in mind. It was like, oh, just put all this stuff in right. Kuwait. You know, obviously it's it's to has something to do with going into Iraq, but they don't know why. I'm not just doing it. I'm not minimizing that aspect of it. I guess what I'm saying is like when when the invasion began, US troops didn't immediately like get confronted with Iraqi resistance and and surrender. Go like, I don't know why I'm here. Just take me prisoner because this is stupid, right? Yeah, they I, I, but I think the orders are, are similar, though. The, okay. The orders were to go into Iraq and establish a presence there, and now it's ours. Okay. Uh, and the same is in Ukraine. It's like, well, invade Ukraine. Like, take yeah. it over. Like, yeah. okay, and, that, and now what? It's like, and we're well, here. <laughs> as a soldier, do your job then, right? It's like the or- <laughs> if the orders are yeah. invade Ukraine and take it over, at least you know what the goal is. You don't just, like, cross the board and go, like, I don't know why I'm here. Fucking take my rival. Take my tank. It's all you. <laughs> they they send me here. I have no idea why. Right? It's like no. The fucking order is take over Ukraine and and crush the resistance. Sure. Yeah. So again, I, I guess it's a mentality thing for me because I don't under, I don't understand how you get the all. I don't know how you get all the way to Ukrainian city, right? And not have any idea that why you're there. You know, and then just then just surrender. So, so you think they they were not told to uh, take take over and? Uh, I don't know what they were told. Ro- ro- yeah. Well, I'm I'm, I'm just yeah. making it. I'm asking you. What do you think their assumption is? Their assumption was just to go there, but not to take over. <laughs> I, man, how do I want to phrase this? I don't know if I don't know if I want to make that. I don't want to if I jump to that conclusion. It seems like it. It's. It seems like the those soldiers that decided to surrender are making that story up um, to save face and save their own life, if that's fair, right? Like, you get there, you face some resistance, you go, oh, shit, this is harder than we anticipated, right? This is harder than Putin told us it was going to be. All of a sudden, I don't want to die for this. I'd be willing to kill for this, but I don't want to die for this. And so, like, I don't know why I'm here. Fucking, fucking, hey, I woke up this morning, they handed me a gun, said, like, you know, shoot you, and I don't want to shoot you. So just take me prisoner, and I'll, uh, and then, right, all the, you know, the, the, the propaganda coming out of the Ukraine with all the cap- captured Russian soldiers. Right? So, oh, yeah, we let them call their family and let them tell them all this good stuff about, you know, how the good Ukraine is. Like, really? <laughs> really? You know, where's, where's the dude blinking in Morse code that they're being mistreated by the Ukrainians? Eh. And that's why I think there there probably are uh, a bunch of Russians that 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 don't want to shoot their neighbors. Okay, that's that's probably more true than that. Okay, it's it's I think, it, and that's the difference between you know when when the U.S. invaded Iraq, like most of the soldiers didn't really care about Iraqis that much. I think right. So if it's the if it's the neighbor thing, 
right? By the time you cross the border into the Ukraine, right? You're not fucking blindfolded and masked in the back of the, the carrier. You know, you kind of know where you're at at some point. You just, they slide the door open and they go, all right, shoot people. And they go, holy crap, this is Ukraine. What, what are we doing? I thought this was a drill. I thought this was a military exercise, right? I don't, I don't see any of that. It just, it's weird. It's weird to me. And I guess the, the, the sniff test for me is it seems like propaganda. It seems like Ukrainian propaganda to demoralize more Russian troops coming in. Sure. And, but I, I think there's probably a little bit of truth in it and, okay. you know, it, it's probably exaggerated some and, um, but we, yeah, we're not there, so we don't actually know. Yeah. But, um, but I, but I, but I also, I, I believe that uh, in, in, even inside Russia, it's not, this war isn't very popular and that much be I believe that as well, too, but like, <laughs> I, I don't know. I just, I can't see it being uh, a very popular thing. Yeah. Um, I, th- if, I, th- I think if it was done much differently, so to me, it started off as kind of like, well, we have these separatist regions and, you know, they're, they're Russian speaking and, um, you know, they're, they are getting mistreated by some of the Ukrainians and, uh, that's been going on for a long time. And so, you know, put an end to that. I could understand that yeah. and I could understand Russians supporting that, but going all the way to Kiev and, uh, further, um, it's like, okay, like what's, what's really the, the the goal here but well and and that that part of it by putin seemed to be um like i said like i said last week in the beginning i didn't understand it right and i think just glossing over the news articles um i under i think i understand more the motivation behind that and it was it was basically like i don't know how to like try to use a chess analogy it's setting up the pieces Right, you can't just he couldn't just go into Ukraine and invade, so he had to do this preliminary step of recognizing these break, breakout states, right, as legitimate, and then mm-hmm. come to their aid, right? Because mm-hmm. without that, he's just invading Ukraine for no apparent reason. They're like, no, these are new states. Russia recognizes these new states as separate from the Ukraine, and if the Ukraine is going to continue to harangue them, uh, then we must go in and support them. And then so he did. Um, but this is, this is again, the bizarre thing about the, the sanctions and the cut, like the, 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 just the stupidity of cutting off Russian vodka, right, from the store <laughs> shelves. Uh, like, you, you could do that, right? And it's like, it's, it looks good on paper, I guess, to the unwashed masses, the muggles out there. Uh, but at the same time, it would seem to me that you could just as easily be cutting off funds from any sort of uh, resistance and opposition within the state, right? Because it, it could be like a Russian distillery funding, you know, f- funding the opposition forces in some form or fashion or whatever. You, you get what I'm saying? And so to cut, well, to cut that stuff I, off doesn't make any I, sense. I, well, I think, yeah, well, it, it's kind of like any business in the U.S. that runs in the U.S. is going to, going to be supporting by by law, the, the military, <laughs> you know, the U S military de so, facto, but that doesn't mean they, doesn't mean they can't fund the opposition. True. Like, um, but I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's really a bad strategy to, to, to just to hurt everybody in Russia. And, and then, you know, maybe the people in Russia will, uh, 
not like that and <laughs> and and try to stop Putin. Say this is not worth oh. it, you know. No, see, I look at it the opposite. I go like, you know, if, if if the narrative there, right, if the narrative there is that the West is cutting off supplies, right, and we, the Russians, are doing everything in our power to, to you know, prevent that and get them to reopen, I think that bolsters, I think that bolsters uh, Russian support. Yeah, but I think, I still think it's obvious what, the reasons why we're doing it. And so it would be okay. obvious to the, even even to the, you know, opposition to Putin from inside Russia, it would be obvious, like, okay, we under, we can't hate them for doing this because, like, it's, a, okay. it's an obvious reason. <laughs> an, an obvious reason, but it also diminishes your ability to actually fight back, right? Maybe, but, like, I was I was saying that probably the best thing you could do is arm arm everybody in Russia right now. Okay. Because then if anybody did want to resist, they, okay. they could do it. Like they're, they're cutting off supplies going into Russia, but funding, you know, funding the Russian war efforts by continuing to buy the oil. Right. Right. That's retarded. But, <laughs> but it's a double, it's a double whammy, right? It's taking away, it's take, it's taking away maximum power from the little guy and putting that right in the hands of the big guy. Right. Mm. You, you're absolutely supporting the bullying with that nonsense. And, you know, it's, it's the sanctions be what it is, but the stupidity of pulling Russian vodka off the shelves, right? I go like, that's, that's, that's more theater than anything else. Cause it doesn't matter. Cause like I said last week, yeah, no, there's a lot of virtue signaling going on, right? Yes. Now. But, and I think that's part of it. Cause again, I, I, I saw nary one article, uh, about, you know, ceasing production or ceasing importation or taking Russian ammunition off the shelves. Right. Not one. It's like all you could get during the pandemic when mm. supply chain problems were occurring and shortages and runs runs at the ammo store, right? You you could only get the Russian stuff. And I, for I, all the virtue signaling. I read something I read something that said the, the Russian ammunition is now off the table. What do you mean? So, uh, you're not able to buy Russian ammunition at the moment. Is that from an, Russia anyway? Is that an old article or is that new No, to just this? just just like brand new. Okay, because they did, there was a Biden thing several months ago that tried to limit, you know, the, the importation of certain Russian goods. Mm. But all that did is make it more expensive because it was basically a ban on new imports not fulfilling current contracts um, or something to that effect. So if, if they're trying to bring that up as a new ban of some kind, it's not. It's old news unless they updated it. Because that was the concern several months ago. Now I heard a popping. <laughs> Sorry. That was the concern several months ago was like, damn, we can't get American ammo and Americans aren't producing enough to go around. All we've been able to get is the Russian stuff. And now Biden's blocking that from happening. But then, it was, like I said, it wasn't entirely true. It was just new imports. I guess we should go into business uh, making ammo. I mean, you could. If it's, if it's, if it's expensive enough. Um, I mean, define expensive enough because there's there's some to big, make a profit. <laughs> yeah, well, there there's some big manufacturers out there who can't keep up with supply or with demand. They can't their supply can't keep up with demand. Mm. Um, and at the same time, they're not expanding capacity because it seems like a short term problem. Okay, right. Much much like the lumber, we talked about the lumber yeah. several months ago. Um, you know, and and the the lumber industry like raking in windfall profits. You know, in the midst of a uh, midst of a housing crunch, and you yeah. know, building 
during building during the pandemic and I go like well shouldn't they increase production right shouldn't they fill that demand you know shouldn't the competitor step into the marketplace and take some of those profits away um and the answer uh, was no right because it's it's such a short-term thing that for them it's not worth expanding production because they'll lose money on the new production lines in the long run because demand's not demand's going to subside eventually um, and that's the same reason why new new players wouldn't enter because by the time the initial cost and the initial outlay to build those new plants are up and running um, all those profits are gone and so I think mm-hmm. you'd have run into the same problem with ammo it's a it's a short term yeah. thing okay well that's good that it'll be short term and I hope. And someone someone else pointed out, I forget where I read this, um, it might have been on one of the radio shows, um, uh, a, a lot of the, the one of the biggest uh, problems with the ammo was even reloaders couldn't get primers, right? Like there was, a, there was a run and a shortage on primers for the big guys, for the little guys, for the reloaders. Um, and then so I think it might have been on the radio show. Uh, someone pointed out that most of those primers are made in Russia. So... If you if you want to start a primer making business, right? Maybe you have a better shot if they're going to cut off all the primers, because then no matter how many casings and shells and powders and projectiles you make, uh, you don't have that little thing on the end that makes it go bang. You're going to be sol anyway. Got it. And that was a weird thing. It was like ah, the reload's like ah, I don't I don't need your ammo. I I just make my own until they ran out of primers. <laughs> I'm like, shit, this is what you guys have been experiencing. But All right, we should do some headlines. Headlines, sure. A headline, sectarianism, how it arose and how to solve it. Headline, misjudging nudging. That's kind of a tough one. A headline, how to think straight about Bitcoin social costs and benefits. A headline, protest outside people's homes, president, uh, residential picketing. And the First Amendment. Headline, progressive governance needs a social credit state. Uh, headline, cities force businesses to oversupply parking spaces. And a lawsuit says that's unconstitutional. That's a dumb one, too. You've read that. Uh, <laughs> I did. <laughs> fucking, dude, fucking A. Yeah, we'll move that to the top then. You're familiar with it. Uh, headline, DC managed to lose $4 million dollars. On its own sports betting app. A headline, can government successfully counter recessions through expansionary policies? Don't count on it. I love it when they answer the question right in the headline. A headline, debunking the myth that minimum wage laws are progressive. And finally, headline, defending freedom and democracy. Sure requires a lot of censorship. Any place in particular you want to start this week, MC? Um, well, Bitcoin is my favorite topic, so... Should we give that one a go? We can. I'll give me one second to bring KS in. I finally saw the hand up in there. Sorry if I've kept you holding, KS. Uh, by the way, I didn't see the hand on my end, so maybe I'm not the admin or something. He or? may have. Well, you're definitely an admin, but he may have just put it up. I've been glancing down no, on no, this. No, no, no. Uh, can you hear me now? Yes. Yeah, I put it up uh, quite a while ago, but it didn't matter. I, w- I just wanted to be in the room so that when something came up, I could comment. But... Uh, um, I'm, it's perfect timing. I mean, I'm still doing some work in preparation for some stuff here, All but right. I'm I'll put, glad put yourself to have, on mute, mute so that we. Yeah, can, I will. Uh, I will. Yeah. Yeah. You are now allowed to speak whenever you feel like jumping in. So just mute it until you're ready, and then comment as you would normally. 
All right, how to think straight about Bitcoin's social costs and benefits. Um, I'm going to say with a grain of salt because this comes from the Cato Institute, cato.org. And I'm still kind of iffy with those folks. Building a bridge is costly. It takes labor and machinery and raw materials that have alternative uses. Does it follow that building it is a waste? No. Waste occurs when the cost incurred exceeds the benefit attained. Cost greater than zero does not imply cost greater than benefit. Does it follow that the bridge is worth building? No again. A bridge to nowhere might be built even though it is wasteful, if the few beneficiaries don't bear the cost themselves. To know whether a particular bridge is worth building, we need to compare benefit to cost. Uh, to count benefits and cost, we observe market prices and transaction quantities. None of us has access to a godlike perspective. Consequently, for normal uh, private goods, where cost and benefits fall on producers and consumers, economists normally defer to the judgment of the market participants who actually bear the cost about whether the benefits as an activity exceed its costs. Buyers presumably value a good more than the price they pay or they wouldn't buy. And producers incur average costs that are less than the price or they would exit the industry. In the case of Bitcoin, the electricity bills for proof of work are ultimately paid by Bitcoin users, just as cost of production for bread and milk are borne by buyers of bread and milk. Bitcoin users pay directly when they pay blockchain fees and indirectly when new Bitcoin is awarded to miners, enlarging the stock of Bitcoin and diluting the purchasing power per unit compared to what it would have been with a constant stock. For Bitcoin, as for other goods, a useful accounting is needed to consider both costs and benefits. Proponents of Bitcoin have been known to downplay the costs or even count them as benefits, while opponents have been known to downplay the benefits and even count them as costs. Downplaying costs. Bitcoin proponents sometimes emphasize that Bitcoin mining operations are able to locate wherever electricity can be produced at least cost, such as nat natural gas fields where excess gas would otherwise be burned off or remote hydroelectric plants with few alternative consumers. And Bitcoin miners plugged into a regular electri electricity grid will shut down quickly to free electricity for other users during times of peak load that push the price per kilowatt hour above the miners' break-even point. These abilities reduce the opportunity cost of Bitcoin's electricity use compared to the counterfactual of using only high-cost electricity, but it does not make the cost z uh, zero or turn it into a benefit. Proponents applaud the fact that Bitcoin mining industry draws a higher proportion of electricity from renewable or sustainable or non-polluting sources than other industries, but using electricity from those sources of electricity is still a cost and not a benefit of Bitcoin. Green energy is still costly to generate energy. When Bitcoin mining helps to finance expenditures on materials and labor to build new electricity generating facilities, or on repairs and maintenance crews to bring old facilities back into operation, that is not a benefit that Bitcoin provides by comparison to crypto assets that use less energy. It is a cost. Building or refitting power plants is a costly use of labor and material resources, even if the new facility burns no fossil fuel and emits no carbon. Downplaying benefits. European Central Bank economists Ulrich Binsel, Patrick Papstorff, and Jürgen Schaff 
labeling Bitcoin an encrypted threat have written that because, quote, the Bitcoin network comes with a large energy hunger due to its reliance on proof of work. It therefore wastes power. But it is a non sequitur to leap to that conclusion without considering its benefits. It doesn't follow even when stated in a comparative fashion, as when they suggest that Bitcoin is wasteful because proof-of-work method of processing transactions uses more energy per transaction than alternative methods, methods like proof-of-stake or like the status quo banking system. To avoid rushing prematurely to judgment like these, we would need to consider the benefits that can be attributed to the proof-of-work protocol. To say that the proof-of-work method is wasteful simply because it uses more energy is to suppose that it provides zero benefit. No greater privacy, no greater security, no greater credibility on the release schedule over a payment system run by proof-of-stake or on a single central ledger. But the assumption of zero benefits is inconsistent with the observation that some users prefer proof-of-work systems. The default presumption of modern Parisian welfare economics is that under the force of free competition in the market for private goods like Bitcoin or any other crypto asset operates efficiently. Mutual gains from trade are found and realized. To rebut that presumption, a benevolent would-be increaser of net social benefits needs to meet the burden of proof. To warrant restrictions on mutually beneficial trade, evidence is necessary to show that Bitcoin production is harming third parties in ways that violate their property rights, or, as they put it, that Bitcoin imposes significant negative externalities. The fact that the Bitcoin network uses electricity does not provide the requisite evidence. Hospitals use electricity, as do school buses and airplanes. Virtually every industry uses electricity to produce its output. Bitcoin is not exceptional in that regard. It is true that at the margins, Bitcoin's demand for electricity contributes to total demand and thereby to determining the price of electricity. The greater is Bitcoin's electricity use, the higher is the price of electricity. But that too is equally true for every other electric power using industry. The spillover effect of additional electricity demand on the price of electricity is, in technical economic terms, merely a pecuniary externality, not a technological externality. As such, it is not a source of inefficiency. Price changes are necessary for any market to regain efficiency in the face of supply and demand shifts. Price changes do not interfere with anyone's use and enjoyment of his property. They are not the kind of Pareto-relevant externality we should be worrying about. An understandable concern about, about electricity use from any industry is that additional electricity generation generates significant negative externalities in the form of additional carbon dioxide and other emissions. They ask whether negative externalities of energy consumption are really priced in through adequate taxes. The remedy for carbon pollution that the authors suggest is a tax on carbon emissions. If it were known what the economic cost of marginal carbon emissions are, then an appropriately sized tax on carbon, carbon uh, would internalize the externalities by bringing that cost to bear on energy producers. But note that the tax envisioned would be a tax on electricity producers according to their carbon emission. It would not be a tax on, and certainly not a case, for banning or restricting any particular energy-using activity. Because the appropriate level of a carbon tax is orthogonal to the mix of energy use. It has nothing to do with Bitcoin as such. To allow the economy to produce the highest value mix of outputs, we must allow producers who have the highest valued uses for electricity resources, that is, turn a marginal dollar's worth of electricity into the outputs for which consumers are willing to pay the most, 
bid them away from others. Critics who declare that Bitcoin is worthless despite users' willingness to pay for it signal that they disregard consumers' valuations and arbitrarily invoke their own personal valuations, just as they would if they declared that hospitals, school buses, or airplanes are worthless. Sometimes the invocation of the critic's personal preference is clear, as for the argument in that there are no social benefits to offset its costs, only transfers, because Bitcoin is merely a gambling game. Absent fraud, people who freely choose to gamble at casinos or participate in lotteries benefit in their own estimation in the sense that they chose gambling over other forms of entertainment. Likewise, Bitcoin gamblers. Of course, many Bitcoin investors don't think that the odds of coming out ahead are stacked against them the way that odds in casino games and lotteries, but on the contrary, are in their favor. Their risk-taking attitude is like is like that of an optimistic investor who thinks that a particular stock is likely to outperform the market. They think that there's a good chance that the purchasing power of Bitcoin will continue to rise as the hope for medium of exchange use of Bitcoin spreads, perhaps to the point of Bitcoin becoming the world's dominant currency. They may be overestimating the likelihood of that outcome. My own view is that the volatility of Bitcoin's purchasing power makes its widespread use as a medium of exchange very unlikely. But in a free economy, we leave such risk-taking to the investors who bear the gains and losses. At the pessimistic end of the spectrum, uh, they forecast that the use and the price of Bitcoin will collapse, and that as a result, the net welfare effects of Bitcoin over its life cycle have been significant, significantly negative. Their forecast clearly clashes with the forecast of Bitcoin uh, holders, not to mention the forecast of venture capitalists and entrepreneurs who are investing large sums in ancillary products to facilitate Bitcoin use. None of us yet knows what the future transaction use and price will be. Meanwhile, the efficient markets hypothesis suggests that the best point estimate on the discounted future price of Bitcoin is the current price. Uh, they worry not only about Bitcoin's risk and cost for invested individuals, but also its risks and costs for the society at large. Noting that the Bitcoin project may fail, they write, quote, If it were true that Bitcoin is eventually unsustainable and will not persist and will not have generated value for society apart from temporary hopes of speculative gains, which eventually are disappointed, then these private costs will, however, have represented a net loss for society, unquote. In the event that the value of Bitcoin goes to zero, investors would give back the gains they enjoyed during Bitcoin's rise from zero to its peak. The episode would represent a net loss for society in the sense that the cost of labor and machines and electricity used would not be offset by any gains to third parties. But this is true of every investment project on Earth. The failure of any particular firm or even an industry wiping out the equity of shareholders and the value of some specific physical and human capital does not abridge property rights or impoverish those who avoided investing in or working for it. In a free economy, we therefore let entrepreneurs take risks. In cases where they succeed by the same logic, the gains are net social gains. Society as a whole benefits from the superior economic growth of an economic system where entrepreneurs are free to innovate and free to fail. By, by the way, to say that Bitcoin, quote, will not have generated value for society apart from temporary hopes of speculative gains, unquote, is to ignore the fact that Bitcoin is not just a gambling game. It generates value in a second way, but by providing an alternative payment rail for transactions or donations that need to route around the censorious central banks to reach government disfavored recipients, to view such transactions as problematic as a cost rather than a benefit would be to view things like a state advocate 
rather than a consumer advocate. Uh, end of the article. So I'm pretty sure I know where you stand, but let's just hear it. Uh, Bitcoin oh. benefit well, or social I, I was going to. I was going to add that it, it didn't talk about the uh, the third reason why it exists, and it's not it's not just transactions to get around uh, the, the banks, but it's also uh, saving. So, um, yeah, it's it can be also a hedge against inflation that the banks are responsible for. Um, so, in order to use Bitcoin, you don't actually have to transact for it, with it very much. <laughs> you just buy it and hold it. Um, so that's the, that's the first thing I would say. But uh, uh, other than that, um, I, I think it's a pretty good article. Um, it's a little bit long-winded, but uh, uh, it could have been said could have been said simpler, I guess. And so I'd have to read it again to you know summarize it. But uh, it was worth listening to. Okay. What, I mean, what's your thoughts? Um, I mean, I I'm on the I'm on record as being basically a Bitcoin maximalist. Um, I do hold other cryptocurrencies, um, but if you know, if I had my druthers, it would it would just be Bitcoin. Um, and because I was aware of Bitcoin so early on, um, a lot of those reasons are summed up in that last paragraph, right? Like it was pitched to us as anarchist money, right? Now you don't have to worry about the banks. Now you don't have to worry about the government. Um, open sourced internet money that cannot be, you know, regulated away or or ceased um, or censured by the government. So, to me, that's that benefit far outweighs just about all the other costs associated with it. Um, especially if you believe that those costs are built into the price, right? Mm -hmm. Like, uh, you know, er, er, in, in the early days, uh, I had a quote-unquote friend um, who said, like, well, what happens if electricity goes down? Like, then you have no, you Bitcoin will be worthless. And I was like, dude, how much cash do you have in your pocket right now? Like, if, if the electricity goes down, your whole, the whole banking system's fucked, right? And then it just goes to, like, what are you holding? So I never, I never concerned myself with those, um, with those over, you know, over, what was the word I'm looking for? Those unlikely scenarios, right? Sure. Those, those and hypothetical then, then even worse, end times. If, if you, if you do do what everybody does, um, as they're finding out in, in Russia and Ukraine, uh, when the banking system goes down, you could, you could have electricity and still not be able to buy anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because so yeah, people in the Ukraine right now, they're, they're having a problem because uh, you know, their city's under attack and their banks not, might not be open to, to process the transactions. And so what, what do you do if your credit card just doesn't work? You know, there's ATM there it has power, but it just doesn't work. And then, uh, and then in Russia, you got the problem of, uh, sanctions now and they're they're stopping the the swift system uh and so that's going to impact uh wire transfers and and of course the banks are going to freak out and there's going to be run a run on the bank and and uh you know they could just shut down the amount of money you can take it out or or uh you know shut it down entirely or limit it um and and that's something that uh really can't be done with bitcoin you'd actually have to stop electricity which is a harder thing to do than and stop the banking system. Right. And, 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 you know, again, that early on, that was, that was it. 
right? That they they told us um, that that's what it could be used for. And there was uh, there was an article that came out uh, from some reporter in the Ukraine or whatever, right? They basically said like I couldn't get to my money. Um, I had to use Bitcoin to buy my way out, right, or to buy safe passage or whatever. Sure. So that's that's what it's there for. That's what it will be there for. Um, and I don't I don't foresee the Bitcoin approaches zero uh, phenomenon either because there's just so many people that would still use it that even if the price go the, the price dropped that significantly, um, I would still throw a bunch of money into it to make sure that on if it if it ever rebound that I was set. Yeah, here's some more information for you. There's a 40 million uh, non-zero Bitcoin wallets uh, in use. So out of, you know, the billions of people on earth, uh, we've got a long way to go. Uh, and there's, and so what I'm saying is there's, there's a, uh, a huge amount of, of growth ahead, I think. Right. And that's, again, having, having been aware of it for so long at the current price level, that's still a difficult thing for me to wrap my head around. Right. Like it's, it's still close to 40,000. I don't even, I don't check the price daily. Yeah. It's around there. Okay. It's around 40,000 and you know, good consider me an old timer, but I re- I remember back in the day when it was like three cents, you know, <laughs> damn. <laughs> right. I remember when it was a dollar. <laughs> yeah. No. And I was like, Oh, it's only a dollar. That's so weak. So small. It's such a, stupid little currency i don't care about that i'll wait i'll wait till it hits five dollars and then maybe i'll interest i'll be interested so next time i saw it it was 12 yeah (laughs) i i I shared this on free talk live either last week or the week uh, several weeks ago like i i found bitcoin different than most people um because do you remember um seti at home like this program sure yeah yeah you used your computer's processing power to like help find extraterrestrial life, mm-hmm. right? And that was cool. And then at some point, uh, what year did the PlayStation 3 come out? Was it 2006? That sounds right. Let's say 2006, the PlayStation 3 came out. And I bought one, like, right at launch. Like, two weeks after launch, like, second round of fulfilling orders, like, I had a PlayStation 3. And that fucking thing just sat and sat and sat. I had Talladega Nights on Blu-ray, I had like resistance fall of man is like the one game that I had. Um, and then, you know, being a fan of the, the SETI at home thing, they had another one um, protein folding at home to like help with cancer research or something. Yeah, I did that one actually. I did that one as well, but you could do it on your PS three. So I ran it on my PS three, you know, and I had that going for a year or whatever. And then this new thing came along called like Bitcoin that you basically same idea. You like, you use your processing power of your computer to do on the network and, you know, set up points or protein folding, you, you, bing, you get a Bitcoin, you know? And at the time, like my computer was a Dell netbook, a Dell mini netbook. And I, I put like the point oh fucking whatever beta bitcoin software on that thing and i i gave it all the extra horsepower and processing power that that little network could handle because i you know i was at work most of the day anyway so i'm like i just i'll just let this bitcoin thing run and see what happens well two weeks later i didn't generate a single goddamn bitcoin and i turned that some bitch off and gave up on it mm-hmm. and then like a year later it's like all up in the news and you know 
uh, on on Free Talk Live or whatever, like, hey, this Bitcoin thing. I'm like, hey, that's that bullshit that didn't work, you know? Right. Because <laughs> I didn't generate it. I, was, I left it on for, you know, folding at home. I'd fold the protein on my PS3 in, like, you know, a couple hours and, like, you know, run up the ranks on that thing. And this Bitcoin thing gave me nothing in two weeks, and I just so I gave up on it. Uh, and then it started to take off. So I'm like, so having been there from the beginning, uh, which was at this point, like, you know, 12, 13 years ago, I think the white paper just made 13 years old. Um, it's hard for me to wrap my head around the fact that we're still early on, right? Like to watch it go from basically, you know, for, like I said, three cents to $40,000, um, and, and still go like, no, yeah, we're early on. Like it's, it's difficult for me to say that, um, I think I'm on record somewhere, maybe here as saying, I don't think the, the windfall gains, um, are as likely like the, you know, the, the early, early adopters, the, you know, the, the 13 year old adopters, the, you know, the, the people that adopted it 13 years ago, right. And bought, you know, as uh, what they could afford then and are now billionaires with, you know, go fuck yourself money. Um, I don't think that's as likely with the buy-in today, right? But it's still, I still view it as a profitable buy-in today on a long enough time frame, right? Like there's, there's still, there's still significant amount of money to be made there. I just don't see anyone becoming an overnight millionaire, um, on the current trajectory. Is that fair? Sure. Um, so each, uh, now if the smallest unit of a Bitcoin is one Satoshi. Right. And it's, it's like currently, eight decimal points down. Yeah. It's 0. 0.04 cents. Uh, so, uh, multiply that by 10. So 10 times that would make a $400,000, uh, Bitcoin. And, uh, that would be 0. 0.4 cents. So, so, so I'm trying to think what would it take for it to get to, uh, one cent or one penny, and then people could wrap their heads around, you know, how yeah. small a value each Satoshi is. Um, so yeah, you could still buy lots of Satoshis. Um, there's a, there's a wallet on the, on the iPhone that I was, uh, shown recently. Um, and, and it, it uses the, uh, Litecoin net. I'm yeah, lightning uh, network, lightning, that's Litecoin lightning network. Yeah. I remember Litecoin um, too. Sure. Um, so the Lightning Network makes transactions much cheaper uh, because they consolidate on kind of like a side chain uh, all the information. So anyway, it uh, it's called Blue Wallet, I think, if okay. I can find it. Is it Blue Wallet? Let me look it up. Blue, yeah, Blue Wallet. Um, I've used it. Works good. Um, so if you're interested in buying small amounts of Bitcoin and not having to pay the huge Bitcoin fee because uh, transaction costs are so much. Um, use Lightning Network on the Blue Wallet. There you go. Good advice. But get in, right? However, however you're thinking about getting in, just get in and get a little bit. And that's yeah. you know that's always yeah, a lot what of people think friends. that if you want Bitcoin, you have to buy a whole Bitcoin. It's like nope, you can buy any amount you want. You can buy ten dollars. Uh, the smallest one uh, transaction I did was uh, one penny. Okay, <laughs> nice. Or no, yeah, one penny and two pennies. Yeah, I did that. Worth of uh, Bitcoin. Yeah, I just, I think that's another thing that holds me back is I don't want to buy such small amounts, man. I just want like. Oh, no, I'm few, not saying you, you should buy small lump amounts. Lump sum transit. That's just me personally. 
Yeah, and I and I still think that that Bitcoin is best used as a hedge against inflation. I view it more as a, a alternative to gold, and uh, I still think gold's a good investment too. Yeah. So, and I mean, I I said I'm a I'm a Bitcoin maximalist, but I carry other currencies. So I you know for the 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 work that I do for Free Talk Live, as little work as that is, um, they pay us in crypto. And I have used that crypto fund at one point uh, when I was, you know, getting my car registered here uh, in New Hampshire. Um, I went through a uh, an agency that creates a trust for you in Montana uh, because old enough cars can register, uh, get lifetime registration in Montana. Like if your car is over 11 years old, you get permanent registration in Montana. Like lifetime, 100 years, whatever you want to call it. Uh, you You never have to go through that process again. Which also means that you don't have to, at least here, you don't have to worry about um, New Hampshire emissions, yeah. right? And and I I think that's should be the default everywhere. I th- it's so weird um, to have to register a car every year. It's like it didn't change ownership, so right. why do I have to register it again? Right. <laughs> but my point is, like the 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 registration company that I went through takes crypto, so I paid them out of this you know other wallet of you know uh, of alternate alternative currency. Like I got, it was, it was one of the few times where I got paid in a, in a cryptocurrency and then use that cryptocurrency to pay for another service. Right. Mm-hmm. And since Bitcoin is, you know, like you said, the fees are a little bit higher and it's more of a hedge against inflation. I wasn't using Bitcoin for that transaction. I was using one of the smaller coins or smaller tokens to take care of those, you know, daily expensive expenses kind of a thing. So you can have both, right. Find a wallet that supports multiple coins and you know, much much like you would transfer from your bank account from like savings to checking, right? Uh, some wallets will allow you to convert within the wallet, right? So you can you know you can have your you can have your savings you know quote unquote savings in Bitcoin, and your spending cash in an alternative currency, and transfer back and forth as needed or as the the market dictates. I see. Yep. All right. Moving on. Or did you, did you was there more about uh, Bitcoin? No, sure. Let's move on. All right. Uh, you said you read this one, so let's talk about this dumb shit coming out of Texas. <laughs> <laughs> Cities force businesses to oversupply parking spaces. A lawsuit says that's unconstitutional. Uh, Azale, Azale Sepulveda is suing the city of Pasadena, Texas, over its requirement that his auto body shop add 23 parking spaces he insists he doesn't need and can't afford. As zoning laws have gotten a lot of well-deserved bad press lately for driving up housing costs, driving out residents, and generally forbidding people from putting their properties to the highest and best uses. Even in those few precious municipalities that lack a comprehensive zoning code, city officials still have plenty of tools to make life difficult for budding entrepreneurs. That includes unzoned Pasadena, Texas. The city won't allow a local business owner, Azael Sepulveda, to open an auto body shop on his own property unless he adds an additional 23 parking spaces. Uh, Sepulveda says that much parking won't fit on his property, and even if it did, the cost of creating it would be ruinous. I've put everything on the line to grow my business and provide for my family, he said. I've operated with a handful of parking spaces for years and had no problem. Now the city is stopping me from uh, achieving my dream and threatening to put me out of business. 
In December, Sepulveda sued Pasadena in the district court uh, for Harris County. His complaint argues that the city's parking regulations violate the Texas Constitution's guarantees of economic liberty and equal protection. Earlier this week, a Harris County judge granted Sepulveda a temporary injunction against the city, allowing him to open up at his new location while the lawsuit plays out. That's a good sign for the lawsuit and a welcome break for his business, says Tori Clark, an attorney with the Institute for Justice, the public interest law firm representing Sepulveda. It gives him a reprieve of paying both the mortgage on his property and the lease on the property that he's currently operating, uh, Clark tells Reason. It is true that this is just a temporary injunction. There is a risk that our client will open his new shop and then ultimately have to shut down. Sepulveda started his first audio body shop, Oz Mechanics, back in 2013 at a rented storefront in Pasadena. In July 2021, he poured all of his savings into purchasing a garage of his own. The previous owner also had a body shop that had operated unmolested by the city for decades, leaving, leading Sepulveda to assume he wouldn't have any problems moving his own business there. But when he applied for his permit, he, uh, he needed to open his business. The city told him that Pasadena's recently updated parking ordinance required auto body shops to contain 5.5 spaces for every 1,000 feet of floor space. That meant his business would have to come up with 28 spaces total or 23 more than it currently has. According to his complaint, Sepulveda's customers rarely take up more than two parking spaces per day, something his property's existing five spaces could easily accommodate. Adding the additional 23 spaces would cost $40,000 he doesn't have, and they wouldn't even fit on the property. That economic burden those parking requirements placed on Sepulveda's business and the physical impossibility of complying with them should have been enough to earn him a variance from the city. Indeed, city planning staff encouraged him to apply for one, which he dutifully did in October of 2021. That's where things started to get weird. City staff initially wouldn't confirm that they'd received his application. When when Sepulveda tried to drop off the $400 application fee, the city refused to accept it. That initial silence precipitated a month of back-and-forth communication between Sepulveda's attorney and the city. Uh, the former continually asking what the status of the application was and the latter refusing to say why it wasn't being considered. Left with no other option, Sepulveda sued Pasadena in December. The lawsuit comes at a time when parking requirements are coming under increased scrutiny. Libertarian-leaning experts argue these regulations force developers and business owners to create more parking spaces than a free market would supply. Regulation-friendly progressives dislike them for allegedly encouraging people to drive more and ride transit less. Either way, the result of parking minimums is the overconsumption of land and higher development costs overall. Some projects, whether that's a new apartment complex or a new restaurant, are made completely uneconomical. Because of these ill effects, cities are starting to scale back or even completely repeal the parking minimum regulations. The results are lower rents and more commercially viable properties. Clark notes that neighboring Houston managed to get by just fine while requiring half the amount of parking for auto repair shops. The fact that other cities survive with much lower parking minimums makes Pasadena regulations just not unnecessary, but also unconstitutional, she says. The city can't point to any evidence for why auto repair shops in general, and specifically Mr. Sepulveda's shop, needs as many parking spaces as it's demanding, she says. 
that lack of evidence combined with the burden being placed on Sepulveda's business amounts to a violation of Texas Constitution's guarantee of economic liberty and private property rights, argues his suit, his lawsuit. The complaint also claims that the city's requirement that his business come up with more parking than hotels or gyms violates Texas' guarantee of equal protection under the law. Clark says a trial date is set for early June. The case offers an opportunity to protect her client and other Pasadena business owners from regulations that impose significant costs without any real benefits. The city doesn't have a good reason for making these demands on Sepulveda, she says. Complying with these demands is physically impossible, and it's preventing him from opening his shop and ensuring his family is taken care of. Uh, end of the article. Your thoughts. I call it nonsense, bullshit, whatever it is. Yeah, I was trying to think of a way around it um, and try to figure out a way to make it funny. And And I was thinking, well, if it was me, I would... Uh, you know, draw some lines with chalk or paint or whatever, but but really small and put park hot, hot wheels in them. Okay. And and then and then take a photo of it and send it to the government and say, "There, I've got my twenty three spots. Are you happy?" <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> of course, it would fail in an inspection, but motorcycle um, parking, bike yeah, parking. Yeah, it's just yeah. it's just yeah, it's kind of stupid. Um, why anybody would care how much parking a place has? I mean, I could see it like if you had. Uh, a restaurant and you didn't have any parking and all the cars had to go onto, you know, the street or something that might be dangerous or something like that. Well, but that exists already. Sure. Um, but it just depends. Like if, if you're the one that, you know, the authoritarian in, in the city and you're, you're, and you think it's your sim city game, um, then you might be inclined to try to, manipulate things to have a a certain look or feel or or, you know whatever but um yeah i guess that one of the things in the story they talked about is it's like well you should be able to apply for a variance you know you should be able to say look i never use that much parking it doesn't make sense for me to have that much parking and it's impossible to do and it's impossible to do so um lead with that it's impossible to do I mean, the city might just say, well, then screw it. We don't need your shop. Okay. So that's why I wouldn't lead with that. But, I, you know, just being unnecessary, like if you have a shop and you can only work on two cars at a time in this amount of spa- garage space, uh, then you should only need at the most five parking spots, which he had. So, yeah. Um, even, I, I mean, be- even that seems to me a little excessive. Well, you might, you might have you know, three cars waiting to get worked on and two in the, in yeah. the, in the shop. And so you take one out and, you know, yeah, you so rotate. Three, would, three would be, you know, three or five would be fine. Yeah. Um, but I think, I, again, I, you know, I, I think it's excessive, but I'm not trying to limit how many, how much parking he can have either. Sure. I right. mean, he should be able to have one, uh, but I, I could still see an argument from the city's point of view why he should have more. Or as much as he uh, thinks he needs, right? If, if, it's, if it's a one man shop and he's working on like one car at a time, Mm-hmm. right or you know, one in the bay one in the, you know whatever then you would think that he would figure out having experience in this right exactly how much space he needs for any excess overflow of vehicles versus mm-hmm. what's actually being worked on right and he's decided that five is plenty or five is enough right he didn't nothing said about adding any more the garage that was there prior right that was sufficient for them you know yeah that's so, again, so anyway, it, 
the, yeah, the, the state is just being stupid again and, and not listening to people. And that's sad. And, and the, the, you know, to come up with that, right. To, to come up with the five spaces for thousand feet. Like, where does that even come from? That's just arbitrary as well. Right. For every thousand, was it for every thousand square feet of space, you need five parking stalls. Right. Like, you know, you, you brought up the restaurant thing and, you know, uh, here, um, in Manchester, where I'm at, Manchester, New Hampshire, we have, you know, like, uh, I don't want to, it's, it's the main street in downtown, but it's not called main street. And there's, you know, businesses all over the place and street parking, right? There's a, a couple of parking garages, but it's mostly street parking. Now I'm sure the businesses, you know, pay their lease to the city or whomever. And you know, part of that's included. Um, but there's definitely not anywhere near five spaces per business, um, available on the street, right? Like that's, Fucking a, not a thing. Um, worse uh, in Boston, um, as infrequently as I like to go down there, uh, but when I have been, it's just stupid, right? It's stupid because there's no parking on the street, right? Because it's fucking Boston bullshit. Um, but there's all the shops on the street, so you have to like go to one of the overly expensive parking garages, you know, blocks away, and then it's a walking city, right? So it's not like it's not like every shop or whatever needs to have parking for customers. There are other ways to do that. Um, the obviously an auto shop needs some place for cars because that's where you're going to pull it in for servicing or whatever. Uh, but again, if, if it's a small if it's a small shop, you know, a couple of bays, and then however much extra space he needs for you know for tools or whatever, he's he's making that decision on his own, and it doesn't need to be. It does obviously. What the hell are you going to do with twenty three stalls? You know, <laughs> yeah, obviously. Like I, I the, the storage place, the storage company that I work for, we have like seven hundred units, right? Like on the property, and there's three parking stalls outside my office, and every once in a fucking blue moon, are there two cars parked there at the same time? Like it just doesn't happen. So if you if you went like you know if you did the square footage thing. Right with with the storage pro, with the storage space that large, right needing that many parking stalls for whatever reason it's it would be dumb, it would be it would be mostly parking stalls that nobody used for a handful of storage units that you know would have to be exorbitantly expensive to offset that cost. Right on. Yeah. So yeah, F- figure it out, city of Pasadena, obviously, and like get this man a variance like if he if he turned in the paperwork. You know, I don't even, I don't know where, uh, you know, Pasadena, Texas is. Um, so I would, I would hate to levy accusations that this has something to do with the dude's name when it shows up <laughs> on the application. Right. Yeah. But I, but I kind of want to know, uh, you know, what the, what the previous owner's name was just for comparison. Final thoughts. No. All right, that'll do it for us. You guys know where to find us, anarchistexperience.com, on Telegram, t.me slash anarchistexperience, or t.me slash theanarchistexperience. And if you would like to contribute to this show financially, you can do so through Patreon, patreon.com slash theanarchistexperience. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll talk to you all next week. Peace. Aloha.